Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to the 75th episode of Help from Future Self. It's a conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. Some call me Alex, and I am joined this week by my good friend, a person that I'm always happy to get the opportunity to chat with about both the game of Keyforge and the culture of Keyforge. It's my coach, Boulevard Paperfight. What's happening, Blake? Yo, what's going on, man? Not too much, not too much. Very excited for this very special 75th episode because you pitched a topic that I have a lot of thoughts on that really, I think, is one of those subjects that everybody who plays Keyforge kind of has in the back of their mind a lot of the time, and yet the actual conversation around it never really happens that often. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had some thoughts on it too. I, For those of you who are tuning in because you saw my weekly Key Thoughts vlog, uh, I kind of touched on this and that's the idea of your collection growing, getting decks on decks and what do you do as more sets come out and what is the infrastructure that kind of revolves around this in many different ways and I know I was very curious to hear uh, Scuzzy's view on this as well. So yeah, man, it's it's kind of wild to think about. Well, let's start with sort of a state of the collection. I was shocked when I looked at my total number of decks the other day and realized that without even like thinking about it, I had surpassed 150, which for, you know, ages for me, that seemed like an insane number. I know you're several times that at this point. Where are you at, Blake, in terms of the number of decks you own? I think I'm at like 350, Mm -hmm. which is a lot. I mean, I did acquire like, I think, um, like 30 decks for when I bought a collection, but I'm honestly in the the camp now where I'm feeling a little overwhelmed by mm-hmm. it. Like it's they're just sitting there, a lot of decks, and it's really made me ask this question: Is what is what do you do with all these decks? And and we still don't have an answer to this day. I mean, drafting felt like a good idea in creating a cube, which we did do, but obviously with COVID nineteen, that's not something that we can do since you're really like handling a lot of cards. And now I'm just wondering where do we go from here. Well, I mean, the, the the first question I'm going to put out here, and this one is designed to start some conversation, and it's one I'm going to ask you, and I assure you, dear listener, this is being asked in good faith. This is not me just saying something kind of shocking to get a conversation or some attention. Blake, is it okay to recycle Keyforge decks? Just straight up throw them in the paper recycling. I haven't done that yet. I, I had this fear that for some reason, you know, like maybe this deck will suddenly be good. But the truth is like when a deck is mediocre, I don't think it suddenly becomes better. Like I was under this, like maybe something will happen impression and then suddenly this deck will have new life. And I think at the end of the day, Ember Control is Ember Control. And if you don't mm-hmm. got it, sometimes that's just a reason not to look at the deck anymore, and especially if it doesn't have crazy bursts to match it. So you're like, you know what? I know I'm not controlling you, but... If you can't even outrace the person, it creates this awkward Keyforge deck. And that's kind of what I'm starting to realize. And I know you and I have had this, we've talked about this a little bit before, but the idea that when you get into the game, you have this impression that some, like the decks are all evenly balanced and you're just a matter of figuring out how it works and every deck can go against one another is not really a true statement. Yeah. For sure, absolutely. You know, we, we laugh about it, but, you know, for the, the longest time, one of the lines from FFG was, you only need one deck to play. And that's technically true, but if you want to play in any kind of meaningful and serious way, one deck probably isn't going to do it. 
You're going to want to have to open more decks to experience more styles of play. You're going to want to open decks from new sets so that you can remain competitive in the meta. Um, Obviously, we've seen that many classic decks have remained very competitive uh, coming into the current day. But honestly, after a certain point, and this is true of, of like my absolute favorite decks, just playing one deck over and over and over at a certain point gets kind of tiresome. Mm-hmm. Um, no, yeah, it's true. I'm, I've, I have like the utmost respect for people who get into the 300, like 200 plus games with a deck because that is that is a grind. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. The reason I'm asking about the, this, is it okay to recycle a Keyforge deck, is because we lack any other way to get rid of a mediocre Keyforge deck. So like you said, I think there was a point where we had sort of tossed around the idea of, oh, well, maybe like something will change in the way that Keyforge is played as a game that will make mediocre decks less mediocre. And what we found is, just like you said, that simply isn't the case. Like some cards become more valuable as time goes on, but like a mediocre deck that has guilty hearts in the mass mutation era is still a mediocre deck with one more useful than it used to be card. Like, if it doesn't have the Amber Control, like you said, if it's not a fast deck with lots of draw, if it doesn't have other tools in it, like, there's almost nothing that can change in the way that Keyforge plays that's going to make a just average or slightly sub-average deck, like, worthwhile. It's just not going to happen. The game would have to change massively uh, in order for that to happen, and I don't foresee that happening because, well, you know, we've already seen the way that these sort of incremental changes in the way the game works with each uh, progressive set. And it doesn't feel like there is ever going to be that kind of massive scene change that's going to, you know, suddenly give life to all these classic decks. So the the question ultimately becomes, you know, how do you get rid of decks that you don't want in your house anymore? If you're running out of storage space, if you've got hundreds and hundreds of decks that you will honestly probably never ever touch play or even think about again how do you get rid of them and i get it it feels wrong to put them in the recycling but at the same time their secondary market is not developed in such a way that we can do anything with these decks no it's you're absolutely right and i mean things have gone to the point where people are trying to create tournaments online just to utilize random decks in your collection that you'll never play in any sort of competitive capacity but when you put sort of restrictions and provide provide all these constraints for people to try and find these decks they would never play like we're as a community getting more creative to try and just make this happen because it's it's it is slightly a problem and what you were saying about the secondary market, this is not like other TCGs mm-hmm. where you have a single card that has value or, you know, an, like you were saying, an individual card suddenly becomes better. You can't just offload this card and then stores will buy it. It's like you're getting rid of 37 cards, well, minus the Archon, so 36 cards each time. So when you do move something from your collection, you're moving a chunk of it. But at the same time, like... Even new players, like they, they don't want to grab random decks. They, I think they kind of figure that out that it doesn't matter, like just a random deck, what it can do. And I mean, when I'm playing friendly games, I try and utilize decks. But at the same time, like sometimes decks that are mediocre, it's not just the fact that they don't do certain things. They also don't have that fun because when you have a good deck and you see it just hum and do crazy things, you kind of want to play those decks because it's fun to see all the shenanigans happen. And when a deck is a little bit milk toast, it just doesn't provide that. In yeah, any capacity. 
You're absolutely correct. And that's the thing. Because, you know, the, the, the standard answer for this, and I saw this all the time. I saw it on Twitter. I saw it on Reddit. I saw it in conversations even amongst people like in our local community was, oh, what do I do with these crappy decks? Save them for a reversal tournament. Well, you know, how many reversal decks do you need for the once or twice a year somebody organizes a reversal tournament? And, and even on that note, I was thinking about this as well when you are saying before, is like most of the decks you have are actually too good for a reversal tournament. Yeah. It's like you either want your best decks or your worst decks. It's the in-between decks that are the problem. And so many of the decks you open are the ones that land in between. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's only value in your best decks and a very small number of your very worst decks. I have tons of decks that I play regularly, that I enjoy having in my collection, and that I will hold on to forever because they embody certain archetypes of a Keyforge deck. Mm -hmm. For example, I have an okay Four Horsemen deck. I have an okay Time Traveler deck. These are things that I'm always going to want to keep because they're fun to play and, you know, they might not be the winningest example of that kind of archetype, but they're fun for me to have. And so I'm not just talking about your collection, you know, only having the absolute best, but like once you get up to a hundred, you will have experienced the milk toast deck, the deck that just doesn't feel fun to play. And there's no way to get rid of the deck that, you know, doesn't feel fun to play. I watch Keyforge auctions online uh, on eBay quite frequently. Blake, do you ever do that? No, never actually. I, I do frequently, um, oftentimes because I'm interested to see what's going on with them. And you will see people selling massive like collections of Keyforge decks, um, oftentimes like 50 and more uh, decks with, you know, my playmat and all this, that, and the other thing, promo materials, uh, tokens, you know, everything else, metal keys, prizes that I got off a prize wall at a tournament, um, et cetera. And they never go for any kind of reasonable money because anybody who's interested in Keyforge already knows not to invest in just a big bucket of random decks. All you want is the good ones. Like, mm -hmm. I, I think at a certain point that if I saw an amazing deck that I really wanted in sort of a bundle of somebody's whole collection, I would buy it and then ask them if they could just, you know, send me the good deck and throw the rest in a dumpster. Um, <laughs> you know, whether or not somebody's willing to do that, I don't know. But I mean, it's 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 one of those things that's really starting to bug me because like there was a point where um, one of the local stores that uh, we played at was buying sealed decks uh, at five dollars a throw in credit. And I would give anything to go back to those days right now because I've got like 75 sealed decks that I know I'm just never going to crack open and play. Never going to get. But I think he even realized the store owner that that was not a viable thing because he stopped buying at one point mm -hmm. and then the price of what he was selling them for, he realized he couldn't get rid of them. So it, it became a thing that was, you know, it just wasn't a thing. That's the mm -hmm. truth of the matter. And it became so hard to try and move these. And I don't know if this can ever properly be addressed because it's like you open up a pack of cards in any other TCG and there's, you're going to get sometimes really bad packs that have nothing in mm -hmm. it. And that's the equivalent here. The only difference is, is like things like sealed tournaments allow you to maybe get one run with the deck. And sometimes in that environment, the deck works, but when you take it into anywhere else, it just doesn't. It just happens that the collection of decks opened on that day really catered to what that deck had and that can happen and that's the unique thing about sealed and also which has this collection growth aspect to it yeah absolutely you know we don't like to talk about um the the game that shall generally not be named 
on this podcast, um, but it is sort of the gold standard for how these things work. So when you're talking about Magic the Gathering, it's been said for many years that, um, and you'll have to forgive me if I misspeak here because I'm not a, a Magic player, but, uh, you know, it's been said in many of the videos and articles that I've read that modern MTG boosters are really built for the the idea of drafting, you know, you open up a pack and you pull out the cards and then you pass them and then open and pull and pass, et cetera, et cetera, until you have a viable deck. And so there's really no equivalent within our game because it's not modular. Like you open up a deck and if it's no good, then it's just stuck the way it is and its component parts can't be built into anything else. The only solution I've ever been able to come up with is one that I do not know if anybody has like the gumption or like the, the mental muscle power to put behind it, which is, um, have you ever played any games like uh, Warhammer or anything like that, Blake, any of those tabletop strategy type games? I have not. No. Okay. The way that they have their, um, the way that it's competitively set up is that, in order so that people can't just buy the best armies and bring those to the table is that you have to build your army on a set of points. So the idea is that you can only do so much with the points you have. If somebody was to ever come up with a Keyforge ranking system for cards that, you know, card X is worth X points, card Y is worth X points, you have to field a deck of 36 cards and it has to be, you know, a certain other restrictions. I could definitely see it being a case where you might be able to have some kind of limited constructed formats just based on decks that you have. But like somebody has to put that together. It could never be official. It's going to be a limited appeal thing in the first place because you're going to need people who have both the desire to play that, uh, a peer group of people who also have the desire to play that, and then on top of that, a collection large enough to accommodate building decks that way. Um, you know, and it's just, it's one of those things that, you know, uh, I, I could only really see it being a fan-driven thing. I don't think that there's any interest from FFG in there ever being anything resembling that. You know, it's just one of those thoughts that occurred to me, and I was like, yeah, that would work, but, I mean, does anybody else even want that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's true. And then I'm also been like to kind of pivot away from from this and just thinking about decks and stuff is at what point do we as a community start being like, you know, what? I don't really want to buy decks anymore. I'm just going to mm. do seal tournaments. And then if there's something I really want, I'd rather just buy something on the secondary market. And we start seeing people look, take that practical approach. The one thing about Keyforge that I think will always exist and always have this draw is that is that next deck you open going to be that super special, unique deck that no one else has and is just absolutely fire like my DAV deck that I opened? Like you never, you don't think that's going to happen. And suddenly you just have this crazy deck that you didn't foresee coming. Like that has the draw of, you know, you never know what it could be next or what could be held inside here, what treasure. I think it's such a powerful draw mm. and is like honestly, the designers creating that is genius because. You think that, you know, there's that psychological factor. Is this next deck going to be the best thing I've ever opened? And you it's a really drawing factor. The best, the best expression of that impulse is you and I have been present at tournaments where people like get issued their sealed decks. And uh, one of our one of our local players, June, shout out to June if 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 she's listening right now, has she's like a bit of a troublemaker sometimes. She'll be like, hey, Alex. 
want to trade decks before we start? And I can never really do it because there's always the part of me that says, what if I hand her the fire deck? What if yeah. the deck that I'm holding right now sealed in my hand, I have no way of knowing if this is good or not, is the best deck that I've ever opened and I'm handing it to someone else. That's the expression, like the perfect expression of what you're talking about, Blake. That idea in the back of your head of the next one I open could be the one. And we've all been there when people have opened the one. We've been sitting there in sealed tournaments to have somebody just smoke the entire like playing field because they opened the one at that moment, the deck that had just the competitive advantage. You know, you opening up that DAV deck, that's that's absolutely a perfect example. You were just doing another deck opening, and now you have a severe, like a real competition to your deck in your stable that, you know, is just part of it now. And, you know, I've had enough of those experiences of opening something that felt truly good and special in my own collection that, you know, I I, I, I can't. I can't speak against the desire to want to keep opening decks. And I don't know that I can ever get to that point of like, I'm just going to stop buying new decks and keep exploring my own stuff and going to the secondary market for the stuff I want because I like the feeling of opening a deck. It's a yeah. rush. It feels good. It's, it's a hard thing. It's very hard. But okay. So this is, this is the last point I had and it's a perfect segue into this is, is there going to be an, a long-term effect to this though? And what I mean by that is we have like, I think it's like 2 million and 5,000 decks open now. We've hit that point almost at the two-year mark. Is there going to be an exponential increase in deck openings over time? Because if you follow the trajectory that we're going to get more players and players are opening decks, that therefore it just exponentially increases or does what we're talking about happen in people like, you know, I have so many decks, I don't want to open as many as I did before. So the new players come in, they adopt that role of opening a lot of decks and the old players are only buying a couple, like, you know, maybe one or two displays just for the what if factor and then are hitting the secondary market because that's kind of where I'm at. And it makes me wonder, like, are we going to see a decline? Is this is this an actual detriment to the game because people will want to buy less because of the fact that they have too many and can't do anything with the ones they currently have? Or is there some sort of, you know, the desire to just keep getting more and that that drive to try and find that deck that you have no idea, is this the one, like we just talked about, going to always prevail and allow people to just keep buying in mass quantities? That's what I wonder. I mean, that's a very, very good question, Blake. I think part of it is the fact that our our marketplace is so undeveloped right now. Um, obviously, you and I both hit Decks of Keyforge all the time. It's a wonderful service that Decks of Keyforge provides in terms of allowing people to list decks for sale, people to keep track of their collection, the ability to contact people who have a deck that, you know, they own that you might be interested in, even if, you know, it's not listed for sale. Maybe you can make them an offer. Um, you know, and stuff like that. That's that's awesome. But we're still not at a point where we have like any kind of accepted standard for what a deck costs or anything else. So it's all kind of up in the air. It's an unregulated marketplace. And it's also got the problem, I think, of most of the people selling decks right now secondhand, like even the people who sell tons of secondhand decks on DOK or on eBay are people who are players who are opening up the best of what's uh, opening up tons of decks, trying to recoup some of what they uh, open uh, the cost of what they've purchased with selling the not quite the best, but close to the best and, or like interesting things that come out of those boxes. 
But ultimately, you know, they're keeping the absolute best stuff for themselves for tournament play and other stuff. And, you know, the question at a certain point becomes, is there enough on the secondary marketplace to make that a viable option for the majority of Keyforge players? And I'm not convinced that it is. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, the idea of deck value and what people think is good. I mean, no matter what you go with the DOK score, sometimes you'll find things that are way better than it suggested. We all know this. Mm-hmm. But I'm just curious as like, you know, you buy a deck, you're like, oh, this looks this looks really good. I'm going to give it a try. And it's not top tier, but it was within the budget with certain constraints that you want within the deck. So you give it a shot. And you know what? It's not top tier, but it still costs you a few bucks. Like that's still like half a box potentially if it's mm-hmm. in the 50 or 60 range. And you just think about that and wonder, you know, does this still works and people still have a desire to do things and try out new things. That's the cool thing about Keyforge because you get something like, you know, you're watching a tournament and you see someone do a play with two cards that you've never seen get utilized in that way before. And it's generally because they don't have any decks that have that because, you know, when that happens, you go, Oh, I wonder if I have any decks with those cards and, you mm-hmm. know, go on DOK or go onto your master vault. You search up the card and you see how many decks you have with it. You see if the other cards there and you start looking for these combos. And when you don't, Next thing you do is go to the secondary market, try and find it, and then some spike in that type of deck goes up a little bit. I mean, we saw it for a while with, you know, the Genka decks is a prime example. When those mm-hmm. came out, everyone wanted them and they were looking for them. And if you had one, it's it's the classic supply and demand. If you had one, the demand was there. You could charge a premium no matter what the the score the score was for SAS. People would still be interested. And same thing with like Heart of the Forest and Sins and et cetera, et cetera. And will it will always be that way because the the way the Keyforge is made with certain chase cards and certain combos that can arise. So it's going to be interesting to see how that progresses and evolves with each set coming out. Like once we get to set 10, for example, what's that going to look like? What's everyone's collection going to be like? What are we going to do with the decks? And I think your recycling bin little analogy will become more of a thing. Well, let me ask you this question, um, Blake, and I'm very curious to know what your answer to this is as we sort of round the corner on this conversation and come towards the end of the episode. If somebody was to offer you 200 Keyforge decks, sight unseen, they don't know if any of them are any good. Some of them might be good. Some of them might be bad. Would you take them? Got to take the whole thing? No. I don't want more decks. I'm literally right now, like, I'm trying to figure out what to do with these decks that I have. Like, I have decks that I think are worth, a, like, worth, like, a, a decent chunk, and I'm willing to let them go for maybe, like, 25 bucks a piece just to start moving them. So, with that being said, check out my DOK, because I'm going <laughs> to be posting some some pretty decent stuff on there, just because I want to whittle down what I'm using. Like, I honestly think that that our pal Logotarian Luke... Mm. He honestly like did the best thing because he early on established he wasn't going to allow the collection to grow. So as he has new acquisitions, he's parsing out other stuff. So you don't get this point where you're overwhelmed with what you have. Granted, you don't have a huge collection to draw from in other ways and see if things jump. But you know what? It's like out of sight, out of mind. He doesn't have to worry about it. He doesn't have that, that quote unquote stress of, of trying to figure this out. You just kept it lean right from the get go. And that was honestly, I think, a really smart thing. Yeah, Luke is Luke is a clever person, I think. And yeah, his philosophy of lean forge, I think, is one that we're gonna have to we're gonna be looking at it for a long time as having been both smart and prophetic because I'm in the same boat you are right now, Blake. I've got so much Keyforge stuff that's just taking up space in my apartment. And I am on the verge of of just saying, you know what? 
I'm going to put up a message on our local board and say, if anybody wants a hundred decks and there's some okay stuff in here, but nothing amazing, come and get them. Otherwise I'm putting them in the recycling and that'll be that. Mm -hmm. I'm at that point just because I cannot still have all this stuff just sitting there, you know, taking up space and, and providing no value to me as, as uh, you know, a player of Keyforge. but I'll be very interested to hear what people's thoughts are about this one. Yeah, me too. So yeah, if uh, please hit us up on Twitter. If you are interested in uh, sharing your thoughts, we would absolutely love to hear it because this is a discussion that we didn't just want to have amongst ourselves. We're very curious about your thoughts on this as well. So uh, please reach out to us and uh, let us know what you think. Absolutely. All right. We can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. This one is called Help from Future Self. Blake, you got one for us this week? Yeah, I got one for us this week, Alex. So on the weekend, I got to do a fun stream with my man, Dan from Sanctimonious. And uh, it was really cool that we decided to kind of jam decks that had a significant value to us Mm -hmm. in terms of the sentimentality. And like, for example, we jammed our first decks we ever played. And then we just went from there and tried different matchups. And we try to always find that sweet spot of decks that work really well together. Mm-hmm. And I just, this this point has been really on my mind lately because one of my friends that I play Keyforge with that you guys have never met, but he's my friend and I play Keyforge with him, but he doesn't come out. And it's a challenge when I'm playing with him to try and find that deck, you know, that is the matchup that makes for a good game. So I sometimes have to find decks that are either... Uh, a lot more challenging to play and then give my friend a really good deck so that he can have that experience of playing Mm -hmm. something really, really good. And then it gives me a challenge of having to play something mediocre against something good. But he's no slouch at the game. Like he understands the game well so that it sometimes doesn't work. So we really try and find those deck pairings that have a good matchup. And when they play against each other, like it's always a close game for either person. Like either person could have won. And finding those are really important. And uh, I did an interview with uh, which should be coming out in the next day or two with uh, Julie July and w- for Crucible and Cognac. And she kind of has her husband plays Keyforge with her, but he's not a competitive player. So she's kind of explained to me the same sort of thing, like that you try and find that way. So you keep it fun for them, because if you're playing against someone who doesn't play a lot and you just steamroll them, it really takes away their desire to want to keep playing that game with you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes as someone who loves this game and you're playing with someone who loves you and is your friend and wants to do something that you enjoy doing you have to be conscious of their feelings that they're sacrificing maybe they'd rather do something else to play something that you really love and as a result don't try and stomp them like even let them win but play either really bad decks or very mediocre decks that can go against one of your top decks and you know what it's even good to let them play your top decks and see someone else's perspective playing that maybe you'll notice that they misplay it or you know vice versa they can do different things it's just i think a good thing to keep in mind when you're playing that more casual kitchen table keyforge i absolutely agree with you 100 percent. sometimes when you've got those casual games because we all play so much it's easy to forget how you know we were all once new to the game and some people Honestly, it's not about having that crazy like Keyforge experience like, you know, the 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 one that you and I play. It's about having that uh that casual experience and they they deserve to be part of the community as well. So, kitchen table Keyforge all good by us. 
You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on The Crucible and on Twitter and on Instagram. Where can they find you and what have you got going on, Blake? Oh, I just got my YouTube, you know, going strong, twitching it out. Uh, twitching on Tuesdays, as always. And I'm looking to start doing Saturdays regularly. Uh, Dan and myself are thinking about maybe having a regular Saturday morning game going, which is a lot of fun. Him and I don't get to do enough stuff together. So this is like a nice little thing. May not be every week, but going to be doing that. Uh, but my YouTube right now is the best place. And my Twitter, I've decided I'm going to actually take my Instagram down. Uh, I just don't have the time to keep producing photographic content for it. I'm finding I'm enjoying the Twitter side of conversations more than Instagram. So yeah, if you want to reach out to me, Boulevard Paper Fight on Twitter or my YouTube, Boulevard Paper Fight. That sounds awesome. Uh, for what I got going on right now, I'm just playing Keyforge on the Crucible on my lunch hour. A couple of games on the weekend here or there. If you see me on the Crucy, please give me give me a holler. I love to play. And I love to play with listeners of this podcast. Yeah, that is always the best. Yeah. All right. We got to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay free.